0: Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Suzanne Alexander on March 24, 2014. Suzanne is president of her own marriage educational service company that conducts marriage workshops for singles, prospective marriage couples, and married couples. She maintains two websites. The first is MarriageTransformation.com, which is her business website, and her second is Baha'iMarriage.net, which provides the Baha'i perspective on marriage. I started the interview by asking Suzanne where she grew up and what was it like growing up there.
1: You know, I really didn't grow up anywhere, (laughs) (laughs) is kind of the honest answer, because that makes it sound like I stayed in one place. I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and then went to a couple of different places in British Columbia, then to Saskatchewan, and then to Ontario. And at the age of 19, then came down to Ohio in the United States. So growing up in Canada was snowy. And it was an adventure because my dad had very restless feet. And so we moved a lot anytime he felt like he needed a new challenge. That put me in a variety of circumstances that were probably unusual growing up. For instance, he was an educator on an Indian reservation, and particularly when we were living in Saskatchewan, there were Indian reservations all around the town, and a number of my classmates came into town to the school, so I got to participate in powwows, and things that would be a little unusual for a 12-year-old to do. And then Toronto, of course, was big city, uh, still is, uh, and I still have family living there and, and go back and forth on a regular basis between the countries. I, I have dual citizenship, my mom's American, my dad's Canadian, and so I hold both passports.
0: Hmm. And what was religious life like growing up?
1: My parents in the early years were members of the United Church of Canada and took us regularly to Sunday school. And to church services as well, so I was exposed to the stories from the Bible and very familiar with Christianity at that point. When I was around eight or nine, my parents started investigating the Baha'i faith, and for a year or so, I would go to Sunday classes at school in the morn at uh, church rather in the morning and then go to Baha'i children's classes in the afternoon on Sundays. And when they then uh, committed to being members of the Baha'i Faith, uh, I just got connected to the Baha'i community and and became actively involved in children's and youth activities as a Baha'i.
0: And where were you when your parents became Baha'is?
1: We were living in Calgary, Alberta. Mm
0: So, that's when uh, your father was teaching on the Native American Reservation?
1: He taught at a number of different schools, and at one point was at a teacher's conference in Banff. And going on at the same time as the, the teacher's conference was also a Baha'i summer school. He sat down at a lunch table during one of the breaks, and started a conversation, he's a very curious guy, started a conversation with the uh, various members of the Baha'i Faith, and started learning about it, and then on his return to Calgary, initiated a much more in-depth study. It actually then took my mother a few months before she decided she was curious and, and wanted to investigate it as well.
0: Were they social Christians uh, or were they evangelical Christian? How would you put them?
1: Mom and dad had grown up actively going to church services, so they were definitely connected to the Protestant church. And we were going regularly, so we were going on a weekly basis. My dad first started to feel spiritually dissatisfied that there was something that was not meeting his needs, He started to investigate a variety of faiths at that point, and so we visited mosque and synagogue and a variety of places that he wanted to see, was there something there that might meet his spiritual needs, and it wasn't until he found the Baha'i faith that he realized by connecting with a faith that was up to date, with a current messenger from God, with teachings that address the needs of the world today, that that really met the need that he was feeling for a religious faith.
0: Do you remember what your reaction was when your father came home and said, uh, I found this new religion?
1: I felt confused about religion for a number of years because of this experience. I wasn't sure what to believe and what made the most sense for me at the age of 15 as a baha'i you are invited to commit your life to baha'u'llah all the way through my 14th year i went through a lot of questioning was this what i believed what was it that made sense for my life shortly after my 15th birthday decided that baha'u'llah was the most recent messenger from god and so committed my life at that point to Baha'u'llah. I became very active then as a as a Baha'i youth, traveling around the country, making friends and and doing service within the Baha'i community. When I was nineteen and then came down to the to the States though, there were no other Baha'is around where I was living and I was in a very difficult marriage. I stopped For quite a while, praying, I stopped studying, I really drifted away from God. So at the age of 23, someone said to me that I couldn't deal with all of the problems in my life and in my marriage unless I turned back to God. At that point, then moved to a city where there were some Baha'is, and I looked them up, connected with them. Started actually studying the Baha'i teachings and made a commitment at that point to never abandon God again.
0: So what was it that had you move at the age of nineteen to the States?
1: Ah, I had I had met a a gentleman when I came down to visit my grandmother in Ohio. She had introduced me to someone and I came down to Ohio to live then in order to, to marry him.
0: And what city was it that you located to that you sort of reconnected with the Baha'is and reconnected with them?
1: I was in the the greater Cleveland, Ohio area. Mm. Back and forth in and out of the Cleveland, Ohio community for most of the last 25 years. I'm now living in in Tennessee, but for most of my adult life, I've been in Ohio.
0: So uh, once you got down to Ohio, what did you do?
1: By the time I was 21, I had a baby, spent the next few years being a mother. I then went to school to be a secretary and ended up being hired by, at that point, Standard Oil Company in Cleveland, which later became BP, and over a an year period, I worked my way up in BP through a number of different positions. I started as a mail clerk and ended up being responsible for shipping BP's chemical inventories and monitoring inventories, uh, the shipping products in and out of the United States. By the time our daughter was 18, it was clear that our marriage was unsustainable. It had never gotten healthy. We just kept struggling through things. They divorced at that point. But at that point, I was in my early forties. My daughter was 18 by then. I spent a couple of years healing from that marriage and ended up marrying again to a Baha'i from the greater Cleveland area. And it was a very strong, very happy marriage. During the course of that marriage, my husband and I came to realize that there were a number of people in our lives who were having very short marriages. We had a friend whose marriage lasted three months, one where it was nine months, another one where it was just two or three years, and we started asking why. What was it that would have made a difference for these marriages? We were also asked to do pre-marriage training with youth at youth conferences in that same period of time. We put together a workbook called Marriage Could Be Forever Preparation Counts, self-published it, learned how to write books. I had been working as a freelance journalist after leaving BP, uh, writing business articles, nothing to do with marriage. but. Uh, decided to learn how to publish this marriage workbook. Within months after we had sold a couple of thousand copies of the book, we started to realize that there was a need for marriage preparation materials and decided that I should uh, work full-time on creating materials for individuals and couples. We formed a company then called Marriage Transformation, which has its own website, marriagetransformation.com. And that's what I've been doing then for the last 10 years. In fact, uh, this past week was the 10th anniversary for Marriage Transformation.
0: Mm -hmm. Why was it that you left BP? In
1: 1997, I had been with BP for 13 years. At that point, I was going through the divorce. It was time for me to change uh, my life and head some new directions. I investigated, actually, at that point, working full-time for the Baha'i Faith, moving to Chicago to do that. It didn't end up seeming like that was the path I was to go on. I had gathered at that point a group of close friends and relatives and invited them to consult about What should I do with my life? In that process, we prayed together, we looked at my skills. I had a brand new degree in uh, communications because I had been taking night classes and, and finally at the age of 40 getting my degree. And the group looked at the entire picture and suggested to me that I stay in Cleveland rather than move back to Canada or move anyplace else. And that I become a writer. Well, I had been sending chemical ships around the world with BP, nothing to do with writing. People would fuss at me if I wrote more than a paragraph in an email message. But I love writing and really fell in love with writing as I put together my, uh, my bachelor's degree. And the group looked at that and suggested that I try being a journalist. At that point, I had taken one journalism class. It was taught by a woman who wrote a book called uh, The Plant That Ate Dirty Socks. She was a children's book author, not a journalist. But I had published a front page story in a small weekly paper in the area as part of that course. And I had a few contacts in the area that I made There's a Baha'i quotation that talks about when you get a group of people together to consult about something and to pray with you, if you then follow the guidance of the group, the outcome will be guided by God. And in nine months' time of pursuing this writing career, I was writing full-page stories for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which was a very major big-city newspaper and the other freelancers in town were saying to me they had never seen a freelancer's career take off that quickly. So I felt it was definitely very guided. I ended up publishing maybe about 200 articles in a wide variety of publications, finally ending up doing uh, business stories for Newsweek for their Japanese edition. I couldn't read the articles once they were in (laughs) print, but they paid well. And about the point at which that was winding up, then the the possibility of doing marriage transformation started to arise, and that became a passion.
0: So the, the journalism piece was sort of ramping down when you decided to pursue this marriage transformation career?
1: Freelance journalism in the United States... In the mid-2000s, started to go through some real difficulties because lots of big city newspapers were laying off their journalists, and so people who were trying to freelance were getting pushed out by these career journalists. And at the same time, magazines were cutting back the page count, and magazines were going belly up. So it was becoming a a much more difficult way to earn a living.
0: Your marriage transformation work, you said that after publishing, I guess it was your first book on marriage, you saw a need for conducting pre-marriage workshops for folks. Is that how it goes?
1: Initially, our focus was on the Baha'i faith community, particularly in the United States, but very quickly our efforts went global. We started to do workshops in the Baha'i Faith community because there was no program whatsoever globally on preparing for marriage. Once we started into the work, we realized we needed some formal training, got trained to be educators and coaches uh, working with couples more formally. The Focus for Marriage Transformation very quickly expanded into general audience. Baha'is have a very strong commitment to one God and the oneness of all faiths and the respect for the scripture from all faiths. And so I have regularly in my books quoted from the scriptures of the Christian faith and, and Islam and Judaism and so on. So most of the books are interfaith and general market. At the same time, the Baha'i community has continued to need uh, marriage education, and so it has been a primary area of focus both in publishing books and also in doing workshops across Canada and across the U.S. in particular, although we did do a couple in China.
0: So do you have different types of workshops?
1: I have focused two different directions. One is for singles. And the singles are two-pronged. One is helping people see better ways of dating and choosing partners. And then the other is once people have chosen a partner, helping them prepare for marriage to make sure that they've made a good choice of partner, that they know each other's character, which is something very strongly encouraged in the Baha'i writings, that they are equipped with the knowledge and the skills that they need to be successful in marriage. The other prong has been towards married couples at all sorts of stages. Primarily, marriage education is aimed at healthy married couples. It's not designed for troubled married couples, couples in crisis who need a therapist. The design is knowledge and skill building. So it takes couples where they're at and helps them to strengthen their marriage and enrich their marriage and move it forward
0: the singles workshop, if someone wanted to know, well, what would this singles workshop be like if I was interested in taking it, how would you describe it?
1: We do a lot of work with character. One of the things that I realized was people use terms like I'm honest or I'm compassionate without actually understanding what those qualities are or how to practice them. Once I help them thoroughly understand their own character, so that they know whether truthfulness is a strength or courage is a strength and how to strengthen ones that are weak, then I teach them how to observe those qualities in a partner effectively. That way, they know whether they're getting a partner who is capable of sustaining a marriage, who is capable of telling the truth, of being faithful, being responsible with the bills, and all of those sorts of things. So, character is a, is a primary piece in any workshop that I do. We also look at the whole practice of dating in our culture. Baha'i beliefs include practicing what Baha'u'llah calls chastity, which is not like abstinence in the way that the, the world thinks of not having sex before marriage. Chastity is a really interesting spiritual concept that's vitally important for singles to understand. It includes living a very full life, full of all kinds of positive activities, And it includes avoiding doing things that arouse sexual passions outside of marriage. I also then help them understand that chastity applies after marriage, not in terms of abstinence, but in terms of the entertainments that they choose, the activities that they choose to do, that they are ones that show respect for themselves as a noble human being and that show respect for their partner and help them avoid getting into some of the difficulties with sexual activities that are, are so prevalent in our world today.
0: Do you hold workshops for folks that don't necessarily hold the belief that you should be chaste before marriage? And then if so, how do you, how do, you do that? or what is different?
1: Both with Baha'is and with anyone else, what I present is that they have choices. Every choice has a result. In the books that I write and the workshops that I do with people who uh, don't have a particular belief in sex before marriage or, or not having sex before marriage, I simply share with them here's a choice here's why you might want to choose this, the possible outcomes if if you choose something different, and help them to understand why they might make a certain choice and, and what the consequences might be. I have worked with couples who have made the choice to have sex before marriage, and I have worked with couples who have chosen not to, you know, in a world where sex is so confusing, it's hard to make black and white choices. It's hard to make black and white pronouncements about what people should do and not do. I try and let people know uh, what their wide range of choices is and encourage them to make the decision that's best for them.
0: And you said your other pre-marriage workshop had to do with partners that have identified that they are serious about marrying that particular individual. So if if such a couple wanted to come to your workshop, how would you describe what that workshop would be if someone was interested in taking it?
1: What I tend to do with couples who are pretty committed towards marriage, is actually try and meet with them as a couple, rather than have them in a workshop setting. Uh, I have an assessment instrument that I'm trained to use with couples that gives them and me a broad picture of their readiness to marry and uh, also where they need more education and preparation to be successful at marriage. And it may indicate even that they need to seriously consider whether, whether marriage is even a good idea for them. That level of detail is difficult to get to in a, in a workshop. So in a workshop with, with couples at that stage, I would be giving them tools for preparing a budget, for how they might handle tests and difficulties, ensuring that they talk about children, how they might raise children, and so on but it's more general. If I give them the prepare assessments and we meet one-on-one with me with my coach's hat on, then it's much more effective in being very specific for that couple.
0: So what couple is likely to seek out this kind of workshop
1: It takes courage in a society that believes in instant love and instant relationships. We don't learn about marriage preparation in school. It takes courage to accept that you might not know enough to be successful in marriage. We're in a world where people go through more education to get a driver's license than they do to get a marriage license. It's starting to change. There are a number of states in the United States and places where you get a discount on your marriage license if you've actually gone through education. So we're starting to, to see some push to, to be more systematic with it. But we're, we have a long way to go. It takes courage to put yourself in a workshop where personal topics come up, one of the things that I make sure I do whether it's a singles workshop you know with couples or married couples is I make sure that anything private is discussed privately with the couple. I I have the couple go off into into quiet areas to discuss anything private in their relationship uh, rather than anything private being discussed in front of the group. I make it clear that workshops are not therapy, that it's an educational experience. And we try and make it fun. So there's activities all the way through and the opportunity to, to laugh and, and at times do artistic kinds of things in the middle. And it's a positive experience for people.
0: And then you said you have this workshop for, for married couples. So how would you describe that workshop for folks who might be interested in attending that?
1: There are a number of key topics that come up at a married couples workshop. Interestingly, one of them is also character, the same as with the, with the singles where I help couples strengthen their practice of qualities like moderation and helpfulness, being of service to each other and outside the marriage to other people as well. So, the strengthening of those character qualities is always vitally important. I find these days one of the most popular topics is how to manage time. People are very busy and feeling stressed and pulled lots of different directions and helping them understand the principles that they might use to make a decision about how they spend their time uh, is, is important. I don't delve too much into parenting because that's a whole other <laughs> universe. But we do talk about the importance of maintaining the marriage as a gift to their children. That research is very clear that children do better on all counts if the parents are happily married and that that's there as the stable foundation for the family. So I help couples see that Maintaining the marriage is priority one, and being parents is priority two. Actually, probably God first, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you're in a spiritual family, uh, then the marriage, and then raising your children. But the children need the, the happy marriage to do their very best in life.
0: So, you've been doing this marriage transportation work for 10 years?
1: Yes, it's exciting to have a 10 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I'm celebrating the 10-year anniversary by marrying again. One of the pieces of history that we missed along the way was that Craig, my second husband, who established marriage transformation with me uh, in 2007, developed a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. In 2009, he passed away of brain cancer. I have then stayed unmarried and have experienced single life and dating and all kinds of things for the last few years, and have just remarried in January to a a wonderful new gentleman here in Tennessee.
0: Well, congratulations.
1: Thank
0: you. So, that must have been traumatic and difficult to continue your work without your partner.
1: It was very, very difficult. I went through a number of months of questioning did I give up my my work <laughs> did I give up what I was passionate about did I stop doing marriage education altogether because I had had lost my partner in the process really struggled I took a, a few months of not doing much in the way of work at all I went to visit my father in uh, British Columbia and before the, so the, Craig passed in July of 2009 and in November my dad invited me to come visit and he happened to mention that there was a marriage conference happening near him at the same time as I was planning to visit. I contacted the organizers and I said, I have no idea whether this is work that I want to keep on doing or not. But I have been doing this work, and if you want me to do one workshop for 90 minutes, I'll try to do that. I thought, you know, let me just see, can I still do this work? They accepted, accepted me as a presenter. In the days that followed, they started to really check out what kind of work I had been doing and realized that I had this company, Marriage Transformation, and had been writing books and got all excited and came back to me and asked if I would present a keynote at this conference. (laughs) So here I was, really scared. I, I didn't know whether I could be successful at any of this. I was still very emotional about Craig's passing and really hesitant, but they asked me to do this, and so I said, all right, I'll pray and think about it for a couple of days, and outlined a possibility of something real simple I could do as a keynote, and came back to them and said, okay, I'll do it and a workshop. Well, then... (laughs) I got up to Vancouver and a day or two before the conference was due to start, they contacted me and said the person who was supposed to do the afternoon keynote, I was lined up to do the morning one, had dental surgery and had to cancel would I also do the afternoon keynote and would I participate in a panel of presenters at the end of the day. So I had gone from being brave enough to do a ninety-minute one to all of a sudden being asked to participate very publicly in a large conference with at least a hundred attendees for the entire day. And at that moment, I started to cry, and I looked up at heaven and I said, "Okay, Craig," to my husband. <laughs> I get you to keep doing this work. <laughs> And just felt like it was a nudge from heaven that I was supposed to, to keep going. And what I did after that, con- that conference actually was very successful. It, it rebuilt some of my confidence, rekindled my passion for the work, and helped me to see that, that I could present on my own even without a co-presenter of, of a husband. And what happened then was I started to realize that it was an opportunity to create more materials for single people, more materials for marriage preparation. And I needed to reconnect with my colleagues in the marriage education field, because after two years of caregiving, and then a few months after Craig's passing, I had really lost touch. So I contacted... A large number of my marriage education colleagues and asked them to submit essays to me with their best advice for marriage preparation and I put it together as a book called all-in-one marriage prep with over 75 contributors it was an enormous project and an exhausting one to put together very quickly because it had to be put together in time for for that next July, a big marriage conference. So I started gathering the essays at late February, early March, and had the book published in time for the conference in July, but it it lit a fire then under me and rekindled uh, my connections to the field and my passion for marriage education, and I haven't stopped since.
0: What do you see marriage transformations doing in the next 10 years?
1: Great question. I'm deep in the middle of that process at the moment. My new husband, Phil, is actually a business consultant. He's focused on innovation and business transformation. So we've been looking at what's possible together. One of the possibilities is for me to be training Other people to be marriage educators. I'm getting lots of requests and that's very definitely a possibility. I'm also doing a lot more speaking and traveling and doing workshops. One of the fun things that has happened over the last few months that looks like it's going to be a significant expansion of my work is starting to do workshops online. Right now I'm lead faculty for the marriage Marriage and Relationship subject area for the Wilmette Institute out of Chicago, and I have a faculty team of four of us who have now put together five courses in the last year, and we've got a few more lined up for, for the coming months, and that's been very exciting because we're pulling registrants from all over the world, Australia, China, Europe, I'm also gaining more global coaching clients. At the moment, I'm working with a couple in Australia and a couple in Finland and somebody in Latvia and all over the U.S. and Canada. Time zone management becomes a bit of an interesting uh, pickle, but I'm doing it over Skype and really appreciating the opportunity that the Internet is giving me to reach a far broader audience. And I'm still publishing at least one book a year.
0: Now, all of your work is at at your website?
1: Yeah, marriagetransformation.com. There's a store on the website. It's all available. And I have a service site for anyone who's interested in what the Baha'i principles are about marriage. So, uh, bahaimarriage.net, which is also bahairelationships.com that's a great place to learn what all of the spiritual principles are that the baha'is teach related to marriage and it's been a good resource for baha'is globally as well and then marriage transformation is my coaching and workshop business for uh, anyone who's who's interested i do tend to be at least to be spiritually based in the coaching and the workshops that i do uh, or at least principles Character is, is a bit of a spiritual concept, but it's also a broad concept for people who don't necessarily believe in God.
0: Yeah, I think ethics is a big deal.
1: Yeah, sure. Right.
0: Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for sharing your story and your work with us.
1: You're quite welcome. I, it, this is definitely an exciting journey in life. I never dreamt that I would be where I am at the moment. I really look forward to another 30 years on this planet of, of being of service to people of doing outreach of helping marriages be happy unified lasting and to have the whole world start to reconnect with and fall in love with how wonderful it is to have a partner and to create a marriage together that's definitely my passion I'm Uh, excited to be able to share about it with others. Thank you for the privilege of of sharing.
0: You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Suzanne Alexander, president of Marriage Transformation, a marriage educational service company that conducts marriage workshops for singles, prospective marriage couples, and married couples. She maintains two websites. The first is marriagetransformation.com, which is our business website, and her second is marriage.net which provides the Baha'i Perspective on marriage. You can find this interview and other interviews at www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, go to the website www.baha'i.org, where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on a Baha'i perspective.
2: Tea. noble I made thee where with the style la eternidad
3: Me, one of them, the pressure never ends. Oh, God,
4: oh, God, guide me, protect me, make of me.
3: in my own hands to shape my own fate but i feel like i'm lost when the teacher try to teach me preacher try to preach me but only you can reach me i know you're always there i know you've always cared because i can feel that there is hope but my vision is impaired by the clouds that have found me as darkness surrounds me oh god guide me oh god Just like a wildfire. Make me a star, make me a lamp. Ignite my heart, make it shine in this land. Oh, my God, my life, my desire. I want to spread love just like a wildfire.
4: Oh, God.